0: The origin of Sway comes from my background as a designer. I spent a good chunk of my career building brand and packaging systems for different companies. And um, I'm also a big fan of the idea of leave it better than you found it. It's like a common mantra for folks who love to spend the time outdoors. And so I became really obsessed with the concept of circularity and regenerative design, which is increasingly a common term for the design industry. And I thought, how can I, as a designer, investigate new materials and make them accessible to people? And looking at what was available on the market, everything felt like a partial fix. So I just went on this hunt and became a little bit obsessed with like all the possible materials um, that could be turned into packaging and stumbled upon seaweed. And that was really the aha moment because I grew up next to the ocean and I understand ocean ecosystems and I know what seaweed does underwater. And I thought if I can extend the, the beauty of seaweed onto land to replace plastics, that would be like the, the dream. So that's the, the very broad introduction.
1: <laughs> there is. Um, tell me if you agree with this. From my view, pre-COVID, there was gaining momentum Behind, oh wow, plastics are a real problem. We got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And then when COVID happened, it felt like first of all, all of our attention was focused there. And then a lot of the safety protocols had plastic involved. I felt like plastic almost the sort of the momentum we had on plastic was took almost took a step backwards in some ways, or maybe at least a pause.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'm guessing for someone like you, if you agree, I don't know if you agree with it or not, that you're like, hey, let's get back on that train. Let's get back on this momentum, <laughs> right? Because We all, we were making momentum on this. It felt like Mm -hmm. that could just be my skewed view of how I was seeing things, but that that was my perception. And I I hope that we can get back on it um, because it is this overwhelming thing that we have to start making progress on.
0: Absolutely. I think... The pandemic has highlighted the importance of plastics and the reasons that we do depend on them. Like plastic is amazing, it is hygienic, it enables us to be clean and safe. So there is a role for it to play. But, um, you know, all these brands have committed to really aggressive goals to remove plastics from their supply chain, and they're trying to hit these 2025 targets. And I totally agree that the past two years have felt like a slowing of that momentum and now all of a sudden, with things lifting up we've got three years to really make a huge amount of progress and the categories of removing plastics are just eliminating the material reuse systems recycling systems and compostables the last one is where we fall and it's the one that needs the most work so definitely feel the pressure and the urgency right now
1: whenever you're talking about uh your organization your products um do you see do you see certain are there certain messaging points that you have where people you see the lights go on and people like oh wow this is exciting or i haven't heard it that way Like what, in conversation, when do you see people like get it?
0: I love to paint a picture of what's happening underwater because most folks don't live next to the ocean and don't have maybe like an idea of what an ocean forest is or just the sheer vastness of the ocean period. Like it's 70% of Earth's surface is ocean. 94% of Earth's wildlife is under the water. So I love to paint this picture. Seaweed has been on earth for about a billion years. And for that time, it's contributed like 50% of earth's oxygen. Like every other breath that you breathe comes from the ocean and and seaweed and algae. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, for a billion years provided habitat for biodiverse life. It's provided food for, life under the water and on land and we have an opportunity right now to support those ecosystems and extend that impact by creating new materials derived from them Um, i tend to see folks kind of get interested about yeah what's that what's under the water
1: (laughs) my assumption is is that when you're talking with people they can only visualize part of what you're the process you're talking about they they understand that plastic is an issue. They understand that the waste doesn't go away. They may not be able to visualize the process and the inputs of what creates that plastic, which is an issue. And then when you talk about your solution, it's easy for us to picture, you know, forests in the Amazon. It's really hard for us to picture forests, you know, seaweed forests in the underneath the ocean, right? Like it's just not visible. So in some ways that's a probably an obstacle for you because you're illustrating something that maybe they've not thought about before Mm -hmm. but it's also probably a I'm guessing a, a positive because you sort of understand something that maybe is interesting to them and maybe they lean in and try to understand something that they haven't really thought through before.
0: Yeah absolutely and honestly the Amazon's a great comparison because there are there's approximately as much ocean forest as there is Amazon forest. There's seven million square kilometers of ocean forest growing underwater, which is roughly the same size as the Amazon rainforest, not just geographically, but also in terms of its contribution to carbon sequestration and habitat. So that's a a great one-to-one comparison. And I think the more that we can kind of create those comparisons, it's like you open up people's imaginations around what's possible and what solutions might be at sea. a phrasing that I really like is, you know, we often view the ocean as the victim in a lot of cases, particularly of plastic pollution. But in our case, it's the source of the solutions too. So we can help protect the ocean in more ways than one, and kind of make it the hero of this of this plastic saga. Um, but something else you just said really kind of um, strikes a chord because I think a lot of folks do think of the plastic problem as, we don't have a place to put it, there's too much of it, don't know what to do with it, we're killing the turtles, but actually the root cause of plastics and a good chunk of why they're so evil is because they're made from fossil fuels and plastics are actually driving the fossil fuel industry. Like 20% of net growth and demand for oil comes from plastics. So divesting from plastics is also a divestment from the fossil fuel industry. It's like quite, quite urgent.
1: (laughs) Yeah, where are you at on, this is a very long-term and sort of daunting challenge that you're taking on and you're chipping away at it. Where would you say you're at on that journey? Like what's some of the maybe successes that you've had, the progress that you're proud of Mm -hmm. so far? And like, what, what do you see ahead of you as well?
0: Yeah, so we, at Swear specifically focused on replacing thin film plastics. So that's bags and wrappers and pouches and these really annoying plastics that float out of landfills into the ocean or into sewage systems or can't be recycled. There are five trillion of those single use plastic items produced every year. Um, We're starting with poly bags because they're quite a simple material, single layer, doesn't need to be, you know, the highest performance. And there's 180 billion of them every year produced and used in the fashion industry. Some recent successes were that we were announced as finalists in the Tom Ford Plastic Innovation Prize um, earlier this spring. And that prize is designed by literally the coolest folks in the game, Tom Ford, Stella McCartney, Nike, and they're just, they're looking for next generation solutions for plastics. So it's really cool to be included in that cohort of solutions. We're scaling up right now to do pilots with some of those brands. And it's our expectation that we'll be scaling up for public launch early next year. So that right now is the moment.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I imagine, like with all solutions like this, there's a green premium uh, that comes along with that. How How would you describe what that looks like today and where do you think it can go in the near term?
0: Yeah. We're aiming to be competitive with the other bioplastics that exist on the market. And it's really important to clarify some of the, the like nuances within plastic replacements. So there's bioplastics like um, PLA, which are derived from corn, or PHA, which is a fermentation process of like agricultural waste. And then there are biomaterials, which are chemically completely distinct from plastic at all. So it wouldn't even be appropriate to call them bioplastics. And that's the bucket that we're falling within. It's taking the natural polymers that nature's already given us and making them fit within traditional infrastructure. So if we can do that, fit within traditional infrastructure, we can eventually be competitive with those other you know, corn or, um, fermented feedstocks that are pretty readily available. Um, but I, I think that green premium, I mean, tell me what you think about this, the green premium, like how it's framed. I don't think it calculates the true cost of the alternative. Like what, what is the true cost of plastics? Looking at the entire supply chain from production to pollution at the end of life.
1: Yeah, we subsidize everything we do because we don't think about the true costs and the externalities of, Things that we choose. We just look at the cost today and disregard what it took to bring it to us and what it's going to do after us, right?
0: Right. It's quite expensive actually to invest in plastics. If you think about not just like the ecological harm that's done through the production of fossil fuels, but the human health that's caused by (laughs) you know processing fossil fuels and then polluting environment and then making plastics that are able to infiltrate literally our blood or all these natural spaces that we're trying to enjoy. They make it into the air, into the water that we drink. It's everywhere. That feels very expensive to me.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> I, I wanna go back to the other, sort of the category that you framed yourself as being within and, and mm-hmm. there's alternatives that are corn-based and other uh, byproduct um, as inputs. I would assume, and I think one of the things that's cool about uh, this uh, sector is that I see a lot of people like supporting each other and applauding other brands because you're ultimately after the same goal and it's not Mm -hmm. as like cutthroat competitive, um, which I think is very cool. Um, And I bet with everybody in your category, you would probably applaud what they're, you would applaud what they're trying to do and what they're building. But whenever I heard, and you know this far better than I, so what i heard you say is, you know, let's say there's a corn base, which is great but yours is seaweed-based. And I would imagine that the process uh, to produce the inputs needed is a far more sustainable process for what you're doing based on how that is grown and how that's harvested. Is that, am I correct on that? Or are there? Or would you say it's, uh, it's difficult math? To, to I, it depends,
0: with? it depends, it depends. But yes, as, so as an overarching theme, absolutely, I would say folks within climate tech and within new materials are applauding each other and supporting each other. And there's definitely that environment, which I love because it's not like one solution is going to solve all the problems. We'll need an ecosystem of solutions. It's like very you know, nature inspired, lots of different materials will help us solve this problem and they can all exist to support each other. And no hate towards, by the way, like the towards PLA or PHA or any of the other alternatives, because I think that There's always trade-offs with any material. Um, Seaweed is just such an easy feedstock to fall in love with though, because what it does underwater is replenishes ecosystems, reverses the effects of ocean acidification, which is caused by climate change and like rising temperatures. It sequesters carbon, more carbon in some cases than land trees. <laughs> there are ocean trees growing underwater sequestering carbon. Um, but then it's just a really efficient crop to grow. It's it grows 20 to 30 times faster than corn or sugarcane. Don't need land. Don't need fresh water. Don't need pesticides. Uh, it just it grows. <laughs> uh, some species there's you know there's 10 10,000 plus species of seaweed. Some of them grow year round. You can harvest them every three to four weeks. So. It's just a really giving benevolent, inherently regenerative feedstock and it makes a lot of sense, Um, yeah.
1: You'll have to forgive my ignorance on this, but I live uh, closer to corn than I do to seaweed. Um, (laughs) uh, What does the sort of growing and harvesting uh, process look like?
0: So there's wild harvested seaweeds and there's ocean farmed seaweeds. And we try to prioritize working with ocean farms because, well, we, we want to be like adding more nutrients to ocean ecosystems. Depending on the species, there's different methods of farming seaweed. Um, the seaweed that gets the most time in the spotlight are a lot of like brown kelp. It's the big stuff, the big brown ribbony stuff. What you do is you seed a line of rope, put it in the water suspended between buoys, and it grows down like hair. And then when you harvest it, you basically give it a haircut. So that's one method. Another method is you've got um, little um, sprigs of seaweed, basically, this is more in tropical climates that are tied with just a little raffia string to ropes. And you harvest it and then it regenerates. And then you harvest it and it regenerates every three to four weeks, really, really rapid. Um, If you visit a seaweed farm in Maine, not going to be a whole lot to see. It's deep, cold water growing up and, you know, the seaweeds growing up and down the water column. If you go to visit a farm in Indonesia, it's turquoise, warm water, that you know, comes up to your knees, shallow, you know, you can see exactly what's happening. So visit a few to tell me which one you like, which method you like the best. Um, (laughs) But it's happening all over the world. It has been for hundreds of years.
1: That's really cool. What has, as you've been on this journey, what has been some of the more kind of difficult obstacles that you've cleared and are happy to have cleared um, that you look back like, that's a tough one, but we got past it.
0: I think the big one that comes to mind most immediately, I don't think we've cleared it, but we have a better sense now is we have very big dreams as as an organization. My team, we're a team of 10 now, still very small but we have this really big dream of all the impact that we can enact. We want to create healthier oceans and bring these new materials to everyone and create healthy soil and the material composts. And within that, there are all these other impact metrics. And so something we're struggling with or we're struggling with early on is how do you achieve every single <laughs> impact goal that you have and then also be a competitive product and also scale. and where can you find compromises in there? And I think as we've matured, we have found more focus on this is the definite impact we can achieve today. We know that we can um, work with smaller scale farmers in remote regions of the world in the future. We're gonna build a system that allows us to work with them when we're, when we're ready, that kind of thing. Um, it's like, how do you n- not compromise on all the impact that you wanna achieve?
1: Where would you where would you say you are in the I think I know your answer but in, in the sort of the acceptance and adoption cycle of of what it is you're trying to produce Do you feel like you're it's still very early days and you're working with pretty informed tastemakers uh, or Where would you classify yourself at today?
0: It's early days. I would say even if a brand that we meet with doesn't have a really stringent or robust approach. To replacing plastics within their supply chain, they're always eager to talk to this new material, you know, or this new this new approach. Um, no one's trying to bring more plastics into their brand,
1: <laughs> so
0: that's it's a very receptive environment. I think, uh, yeah, the question is just, can we initially in the beginning afford that premium? And what's the real return on investment going to be? Are customers going to really understand that this is a material that came from the ocean and, and turns into soil at the end of its life? Um, so that remains to be seen, but we'll, we'll have answers to that pretty soon.
1: So from a... Your background is art direction, correct? Design and art direction. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel like that strength has helped you? Um, with what you're doing because again you are marketing something that is has a premium to it do you feel like building a brand and being strong storytellers and be able to visualize these things has helped you along the way or or what would you say about that
0: i hope so i mean my goal is that it's not just the sustainability team at, a, at any given company that wants to work with us we want to get the whole team on board we want the cfo you know cheering for seaweed and for sway and we, you know we want everybody to understand it and then we also want brands get the most bang for their buck, right? But these are stories they can tell to their community that are really gonna resonate and make people feel good about themselves. So it's definitely been a focus for Sway to be not just a material technology company but to also provide the impact reporting and the narratives that are needed to really like increase transparency and build excitement and adoption. I think across climate tech and across climate solutions, there are a lot of very complicated, inaccessible solutions that a lot of most people will not have access to, or really the patience to figure out. And so we're in that cool kind of category where we can really explain, like, this is where this material came, like this, literally, this material came from an ocean farm, and we can tell you the name of the guy who grew your bag that's a, that's an amazing opportunity to make someone feel like they're a part of the movement and it's not some, you know, lofty thing off in the distance.
1: Well, I, I applaud what you guys have done because in, uh, from, from my seat, some of the people who are doing some of the most innovative things, um, really struggle with commercialization and how do you tell the story and how do you do then distribute, uh, that innovation. You guys are working on something that's very innovative, but, you're very skilled at telling your story, building a brand, making people want to associate, I think, with what it is you're doing. And that is typically, in my view, the, the piece that's missing. So that's that's often what we try to do to help others is say, mm-hmm. hey, this is great. Let us help you tell that story. Let's make sure that you can capitalize on top of this, this thing that you're trying to bring into the world. But you guys are, are doing that. And I think it's no, just, thanks, I, I, would, I would imagine that, uh, I mean, when you say you're, you know, you're in these uh, associating with brands like Tom Ford and Nike, that's not a surprise because of what you guys are doing, the way you're telling that story. So, But I think I would like to see more brands uh, have that ability and and some of them is just not their strength. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems like you guys have that strength and so you're using it to the best of your advantage.
0: I appreciate that. Well, we'll see. You know, we haven't launched pilots yet. So it's it's early days. We'll see. I hope that this, you know, it's our theory. I hope our theory comes true. But I'm curious because... I think oftentimes, and this is my experience as a designer, a lot of folks perceive design as a method of just you know creating beauty in the world. But I think that design can be used as a tool to create work of consequence. And I'm, I'm curious how often you find yourself in a position where you're able to illuminate or like draw the lines between beauty and impact in your work.
1: I think it depends on if you spell it with a capital D or not. And, you know, right. Design with a capital D is very different than sort of visual design. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But I think the methods for how you get there are are similar. It's just it's very similar to the word innovation. It's like, can we do this better? And Mm -hmm. um, what's the process of evaluating why this isn't working well? And how do we sort of architect um, a new system of some sort? So. Uh, It's nice when people who understand design thinking can apply that to worthwhile pursuits and kind of question, why is this the way it Mm is? It seems not great. And is there a better way? (laughs) And you start, and sometimes Mm -hmm. you dig in, you're like, wow, this is a tough one. The other time it's like, Oh, there's, here's a solution right here. Why hasn't, Oh, nobody took the time to look that, right. That way. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And consistently the more time I spend in the climate space I encounter so many solutions you know you're being in this type of category where you're working a lot with oceans you're working with materials you're working with brands you're constantly confronted with the intensity of the climate crisis but then you're also constantly meeting other solutions there's so many like there's so much reason to be hopeful and I feel like design often will be the key between something being meaningfully adopted or not, like we're, we are humans, we are resistant to change. If you make it easy for us, then <laughs> it's more likely that it's going to, that it's going to scale. So
1: I'm very passionate about the momentum of the early adopters getting to the mainstream. And mm-hmm. I think that's a very tough thing to do. Um, and so I'm always uh, a big fan of anybody who's making early progress. And really hoping that they can it st- it goes beyond just those those kind of the early few um, because it is so tough i mean because the, the mainstream doesn't want to take a chance
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, they would just want to look at somebody who's you know they admire and be like well they're doing it so maybe i should try right and um, right. so again the way where you're sort of entering the market with these really you know, in some cases, top tier brands, uh, that's great. That's what we need is, to, is for people who we admire to put their endorsement on it. So other people will follow suit. Um,
0: Cause okay. now all of a sudden
1: it's like, cool. Right. Yeah. And so if there is a premium to it initially uh, the brand, the brand that comes with that, 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 that covers the premium, right? Mm-hmm. Because now I'm associated with this brand who I put a, ba- a really high value on. Right. Um, I think those Absolutely. are the types of steps that we definitely need to take across the board. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree with you. The more you learn about climate, I think you go through this initial wave of like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do this? <laughs> and then the right. more you study and see what some people have, have discovered, sometimes it's like, oh, this is right in front of us. Now we just have to like change our habits and some of the decisions that we make. And that's where I'm very hopeful of like, man, can we get those decisions? It, solutions are becoming available. Now can we change our habits?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's tough, but uh, that's the work that needs to be done.
0: Yeah, I feel though, when, you know, it, the moment that you know, um, Beyond Burger makes its way into Costco, or you know, a seaweed bag makes its way into Target, all of a sudden it's not so much of a hard choice; it's right there in front of you. And you, you know, I think that increasingly within these next years, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna see a much easier choice presented to most shoppers, not just a select few. It's not gonna you know, be isolated to um, Whole Foods and, um, you know, what have you. Um, We we had the opportunity to work with Target and Walmart and CVS within the Beyond the Bag Challenge, which was organized by Closed Loop. And that was another scenario where these are... (laughs) These are the decision makers and the folks who really determine how materials are used and like what are the standards that we set for for, um, packaging. And it's so cool to see buy-in across those teams supporting new solutions like ours. And there were reuse systems that were being implemented and there were technological solutions and then there were new materials. And I think the more incubation models like that happen where direct competitors are collaborating to bring about that change the better like that's so meaningful for a company like ours in those early days to get that kind of validation it's the only way that you know that you can raise money or that you can get traction otherwise um,
1: that's great for them too because they are, it's good R and D for them. It's great PR. I mean, just selfishly, it's great PR for them. Um, so it feels like everybody's winning in those types of scenarios. Yeah. What has been, um, one of the more rewarding moments for you and your team so far?
0: Shoot. Hmm. Yeah. I would say, I mean, Beyond winning the prizes and the awards, I'd say it's been really rewarding having, building out the team to the size that it is now and getting set up in a physical space and building out our lab has been really rewarding because it takes all these abstract concepts that we've been talking about related to our supply chain and related to impact and brings them into physical form. Um, So I'd say, yeah, it's just really rewarding to see your material being made in front of you with your machinery in real life, with all the people that that made it happen on this journey because material innovation takes time um, and it's hard. <laughs> so that yeah, definitely that's that's super rewarding.
1: I can see how locked in you are because that answer took a second for you to think about and I can relate <laughs> to the same thing. I've had people come up to me that like who've asked similar questions. I'm like, I've not stopped to think about it. you know, I'm just so, I'm just so, uh, I'm charging hard forward Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about, Oh, is this fun or not? Uh, so I can, I can, I can relate. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I can say, I would say that for the team, I would say if you were to zoom out and say what personally has been very rewarding, it's the opportunity to, um, connect with other like-minded folks across industries, um, my co-founder Matt and I were able to go to the Alan MacArthur Foundation Circular Innovation Expo in London a couple months ago. And it was the first time that we got to present sway, you know, from the pandemic in a in a physical space and show our product to real people. That was so rewarding to hear the words regeneration and seaweed being spoken by all these industry folks who know what it takes to scale solutions and know how hard it is. That that was. Yeah, that was very rewarding.
1: That's awesome. I need what to ask this reaction? question
0: more more frequently, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, were there other reactions that you got uh, from from that, or some other recent get-togethers?
0: Uh, positive, or just reactions in general. Either way. <laughs> um.
1: Anything you'd like to share?
0: Let's see. Well,
1: is there well? Let's do this. Is there one that's a that it bothers you that you this one gets brought up?
0: Hmm, that's a scandalous question um i would say
1: or myths that you have to dispel
0: yeah yeah There, so there's a there's a lot of skepticism of new materials and of quote unquote green products in general and i think that's very justified there's an insane amount of greenwashing and Mm -hmm. every time you lift the hood on new materials, you discover something that maybe doesn't align with how it's been marketed. So um, that's a huge amount of our work and that's a huge reason why design plays such a role is how can I assure you that we've done all the legwork, that we've Traced exactly where our seaweed's coming from, that we've gotten it certified by you know, the right folks, that we've tested it in the right circumstances, that it actually decomposes. But that's actually one of the beauties of making compostable materials as opposed to recycling, because compost is the only end of life that you and I can literally see in front of us. Like, I'm going to put soy packaging in my compost bin, I'm going to watch it disappear. Over a few weeks, <laughs> but I hope that that kind of dispels the feeling of of um, secrets or or greenwashing because you can you can physically watch it decompose into soil.
1: That's a it's an important uh, point. We were just talking internally with our team about you know what of our recycling is actually carbon um, benefits is a benefit to carbon which ones actually use more carbon to to go through the recycling process and we're Mm -hmm. almost it's almost pointless which is really defeating whatever you learn those things after years of recycling those materials you're like oh this hasn't even really been that huge of a benefit um
0: yeah i love the idea things all the time I love the idea of carbon labeling to give you insight, even if a product's not perfect, at least you know, like the recent campaign between Adidas and and Allbirds where they label every product with the the carbon data. Um, I think hyper traceability is going to be so helpful with not just apparel, but food and with packaging eventually that you can scan a QR code. And like I mentioned, you know, look, and learn where the seaweed was grown and where it was manufactured just to kind of alleviate that, that sense of skepticism and also be accountable if a product is imperfect, but it's on, you know, it's on a path to improvement. It's like, I'd rather you be honest with me than tell me something that's not true.
1: Yeah. One of the things I'm very curious about is what carbon accounting looks like, um, in the future it seems like it's something that's going to be necessary probably will create a ton of jobs mm-hmm. for people who think like that. It's not me right <laughs> um, that, that hurts my brain just to even try to mm-hmm. go through it but more of that would be very beneficial for someone to do that math and for it to be trusted um and for us to see where we're at i'm mm-hmm. curious about when it comes along and what it will look like and is that going to be part of every kind of labeling uh, for CPG, and, and what will that look like for other categories? I don't know. Um, I, I believe it will come along. I, mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: There's some really cool companies that are emerging because it is so historically really expensive, um, especially for an early stage company like mine to afford that, that kind of accounting. We can do a lot in-house. But there are some new companies that are emerging that are making it a lot easier and more streamlined and just a better user experience um like planet forward eon has an, like an individualized tracking carbon id for each garment produced so there's some cool solutions that are starting to make their way into the mainstream and that I'm, I'm yeah i'm very sure that there will only be more of them
1: yeah that's cool i think it's an opportunity for I feel like we're sort of emerging out of this phase where, and again, I could be wrong on this, but my view is that we've used sort of awareness of the problem and a lot of kind of guilt and peer pressure to make people feel kind of bad about the status quo. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful that we're moving into this new phase where we're just, that will probably always exist in some level, but there's just a lot more people who are encouraging and positive about the ones who are making some progress. And has, has there been anybody who's emerged as perfect? Not yet, probably never will be but can we give credit to the people who are making some efforts and showing some gains and putting a plan together and making effort on that like that's what i'm very supportive of is we, we don't expect perfection but we can be real with where we're at today and make progress and every little incremental piece helps right and i think the more people can move away a little bit from the peer pressure and into more of the positive reinforcements i think we'll see more progress uh, more quickly
0: absolutely i think you just perfectly described climate optimism which has a huge role to play in keeping folks motivated, Um, pretty critical. And that's why I love the concept of regeneration so much because it says, let's create systems that make life even healthier than they were before. That's a very unifying idea. Everyone can get on board with that. You can help address climate change, but you can also have just better food and cleaner homes and, better materials and healthier soil than you did before why not do that easy i'm on board and then you can feel good about the work that you're doing and the way that you're living your life and know that you're contributing to combating climate change and yeah (laughs) not get so overwhelmed by the vastness of the problem um climate optimism